0: You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table this morning, we're going to take a brief break from Jeremiah and consider just a few verses in the very middle of a much longer psalm, Psalm 18, one of the longer psalms in the book. We're going to be reading Psalm 18, verses 27 through 32. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed for you in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 18, at verse 27... For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Our God... You are the source of all light and so I pray on all our behalfs that by your word today you would give light to our souls, light into our life, light into the darkness that so many of us are experiencing. Pour out on us the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding so that our hearts and minds may be opened to you and to your love, and to your mercy, and your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Lawrence was a lay monk in a Carmelite monastery in Paris in the 1600s. When he showed up, he was assigned to the monastery kitchen. And he worked in there for years, scrubbing pots and pans, cooking For the other monks, more than most believers uh, of his day, Brother Lawrence came to appreciate that God was present and active in in the most common business of life. He practiced the presence of God in the most tedious of tasks, in the most ordinary of lives. Uh, what has come down to us from Brother Lawrence are uh, transcripts of four conversations and a few of his letters uh, compiled in, uh, in a classic book that, is, uh, that we know as the practice of the presence of God. Now I mention Brother Lawrence because his ability to see God in the, uh, in the ordinary details of his life is also something David was able to do. And and we see that all through his Psalms, right? For David, God's invisible world was every bit as real as his visible world, right? His visible world full of suffering and sex and slings and Saul and uh, swords and spears and strongholds. Right? In his Psalms, David practiced the presence of God. Right? He, he looked at his circumstances, he looked at what he could see, right? the visible life around him, where you and I live every day. And he's able to sort of look through his circumstances uh, and see God behind those circumstances. Uh, to, to see that behind all that was going on in his life, both the good and the bad, uh, God was himself at work. And that's something I need to be reminded of, and I suspect you may need to be reminded of. God is present. God is active right now, not in the fantastic things you do, not in the radical things you do, but in the ordinary, the ordinary realities of your life. God is there. So as we prepare to come to the Lord's table this morning, I want to look at just these these, these few verses, which are right at the center of, of Psalm 18. A psalm that David wrote to thank God. It's a, it's a royal thanksgiving psalm. David was at a place in his life where he owed God great thanks, right? He, he was, uh, king Saul was now dead. Uh, David had been installed as his successor. He was now the undisputed king of, of Israel. Uh, All his enemies, at least to this point, were vanquished, right? So this was a time of of peace. It was a good time. It was a good time for Israel. It was a good time for David. And so David takes time to thank the Lord. And and in these few verses at the center of that Thanksgiving psalm, David highlights four realities that were true of his life and are true of your life. As believers in Jesus, and I want you to look at those four. Uh, here they are, and I bar- these are not. I'm not. These are not original to me. I uh, I uh, uh, I once heard a sermon by an Irish pastor, now gone to the Lord, uh, uh, on this psalm, and uh, th- this was. Uh, these were his his four t- four points or four realities. That uh, so, I borrowed them from him Uh, first, trouble, second, trust, third, triumph, and fourth, testimony. Okay, that's we got trouble, trust, triumph, and testimony. That's the outline today. So, first, trouble. I got a call last week from a good friend of mine who's engaged to a wonderful woman. It's a second marriage for both of them. Uh, but all kinds of difficulties are popping up uh, and making their getting married difficult. And so he calls and asks, what is God telling me here? Right? Are all these problems assigned from God that uh, we shouldn't be getting married? Now, behind his question is a common assumption, and I'm it's an assumption that i i take on many times and i bet it's an assumption that you take on and the assumption is is simply this that since we know god is a loving god and since we know god loves us then god, then 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 god's way for us certainly would not be full of difficulties and problems right if it's god's will then it, then then why would he you know throw all kinds of difficulties and problems and obstacles in the way of it, right? If, it, if, if, this, if it's proving hard, if it's fraught with difficulty and suffering and complexity, well, it can't be, must not be God's will. I mean, that's his assumption in asking that question. And I totally get it. I think that way too until I think deeper. You know, I think deeper about it and you realize that the truth is actually the complete opposite. And by God's providence, I had been contemplating Psalm 18 and I reminded my friend about David's life experience, right? Here's David, right? A young man pulled off of the the hills where he was shepherding his family's sheep. And anointed by Samuel, the great great prophet in Israel, to be the the future, the next king of Israel. The current king was Saul. And and David was anointed to be uh, the future king of Israel. And shortly after that, he was introduced to the court, uh, to Saul himself, to Saul's court. And he quickly became, in the palace, right, the royal favorite, and of course, I read that and I go, well, of course, that's, that's how it works, right? Uh, this is obviously God's will for him to be, to be the next king of Israel. He's had this great prophet anoint him. Of course, he's going to, uh, you know, God's preparing for David to just slide smoothly into his next role uh, as, as the next king of Israel. But that didn't happen, did it? Even though it was God's will. One of my favorite uh, Old Testament commentators is, is a, uh, a fellow named Alec Matir, a uh, wonderful scholar. And uh, he said, he put it this way royal favor became jealousy, jealousy became murderous hate. David took to his heels and to the hills. And he did that for years, right? Trading the luxuries of the king's palace, right? Being the the king's favorite, being the anointed successor to the throne, living in the palace, and now he's living in a cave, like an animal uh, on the run for his life. And I wouldn't be surprised if David didn't think like my friend thought. Is this, you know, what's God telling me here? Maybe I'm not supposed to be the king of Israel. If I was really supposed to be the king of Israel, would would all this be happening to me? Uh, Is God out of control? Of course not, right? We know he was preparing David through these circumstances, just like he he prepares you for what he has for you, for the glory he has for you. Uh, God runs us through trials and tribulations. Uh, remember, for those of you who were not here, we just finished a series in the book of Acts. We, we tend to go back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We finished a, a series in the book of Acts. And if those of you who were here for that series may remember the lesson we learned from Acts chapter 14, where there was a, a summary of what the apostles were teaching these new young Christians and, and one of the things they taught was that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You see, there's a mustness about trouble. It was even true for Jesus, Right? At a high point early on in his ministry, Jesus uh, was baptized by his cousin John, right? The Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus, right? This, it, it all looks good, but what happens? Immediately, it says, the Holy Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the desert, you know, not for a vacation, right? But for a clash of titans, right? the Son of God versus the Prince uh, of the world, right? For Jesus to do battle with Satan himself, Matthew 4, 1. Uh, as Alec Matthias succinctly put it, the Holy Spirit and conflict belong together. And it's something we too often forget. Now we see David's trouble all through these few verses here, right? In verse 27, David says that God saves a humble people, and that's true, Uh, but you don't just become humble. Uh, The the Hebrew word there suggests that they're humble because they've been humbled. Actually, I think a more accurate translation would be God saves a humbled people, right? People who, who have experienced hard realities that have exposed their poverty. Expose their spiritual poverty. Expose their absolute need of God. God saves a humbled people. Verse 28, David talks about my darkness. David experienced darkness in his life and I know uh, you do too. Some of you are experiencing it right now all kinds of darkness. It's a, it's a powerful metaphor for uh, lots of negative realities that we go through, especially spiritual darkness, right? There, some of you are feeling like there's this yawning, unbridgeable gap, right, between, like this, the Grand Canyon, between your present reality, where you're living now, and God's promises, it's like God's promises mock your life. You know, really, you just don't see any way to bring, the, you know, your present life together with God's promises. Um, you, you you seem to be shut off from God and His voice and His reality and His. Uh, you don't sense His purpose or His presence or Your power in your life. You feel like you're in the grip of f- things that are too strong for you addictions sins that you can't shake you can't even bring yourself to pray sometimes and when you do it feels like it doesn't get beyond the ceiling you know you've been there right darkness then in verse 29 david talks about a troop and a wall Right? He's, he's he's thinking back to his life. It's po- a poetic way of speaking. A troop is a is a band of of, uh, of uh, raiding soldiers. Most of us won't experience a band of raiding soldiers. Although we have a lot of military personnel in here who may actually experience bands of raiding soldiers. But but for most of us, right? that's, that you know that represents. The kind of opposition we often experience from other people. You being opposed by some people now? I know some of you young people at school uh, are f- facing bullies. You know, people who are mean to you, roughing you up, uh, pushing you around on the playground, making fun of you, embarrassing you. Bullies. I know some of you have colleagues at work who are trying to bring you down, talking behind your back, talking you down, running you down to your boss. Um, we're opposed by people, like David was. We're, a wall represents, you know, things, just life, circumstances of life that, that wall you in, right, that, that make you feel trapped that could be debt, it could be addiction, it could be, you know, a dead-end job. Where, and you just don't see any way out. You don't see any way to get over this wall. The walls are just too high. So, listen, friends, as you come to this table today, and I'm talking to the believers are going to come to this table. You come with troubles, and you need to know that's not extraordinary. It's not unusual. It's not a sign that God doesn't love you. In fact, it's a sign that he does love you. That God, he's in control. He's with you. He's... He's shaping you, he's molding you, he's preparing you for what he has next for you, ultimately preparing you for the glory that he has in store for you. So guys, we're in this together, okay? Followers of Jesus, no trouble. That's okay. Second thing, trust. What do you do? in the face of those troubles. Well, bottom line is you trust God in them. As hard as it may be, as impossible as it may be to see how God can make any good out of the trouble you're going through now, you trust God. You know, we tend to over-trust our circumstances and under-trust the God in control of our circumstances. I'm constantly over-trusting my circumstances. And I know I am, because when when things are going well, I'm on a high. And when things are not going well, it's like my life is falling apart. That shouldn't be. That, That shows that I'm trying to stand on my circumstances rather than on the God who's in complete control of them. Why would we trust God? Well, look at verse 30. He says, God's way is perfect. Perfect? Really? My life? God's God's way is perfect? And then look down at verse 32. It's kind of a bookend. David says, God made my way. Now, our translation says blameless, and it's a little bit... I wish it hadn't done that because it's the exact same Hebrew word. So in verse 30 where it says God's way is perfect, down to verse 32, David says God made my way perfect. Perfect. That's what God's doing, even when it doesn't look like it. And I know, you know, I, I scratch my head, look at my life sometimes and the circumstances and I go, perfect? But, but again, think about it. When David was in a cave running for his life, it didn't look to him like God's way or his way were perfect. When Joseph, the book of Genesis, right, was thrown into a pit by his brothers, when he was sold into slavery, when he was falsely accused of sexual assault, when he was unjustly imprisoned uh, for that assault, for years, do you think it looked to Joseph like God's way for him was perfect? That his way was perfect? Of course not. But that's, you see, that's where trust comes in. That's where faith comes in. Don't trust the circumstances. Trust the God behind them, whose way is perfect, who is making your way perfect. I noticed the same truth, and I think I mentioned this a few maybe a few weeks back, but it was, I was studying Psalm 23 again, right? A much better known psalm of David than Psalm 18. Psalm 23, great psalm of comfort, right? The, the shepherd song. But in Psalm 23, there's that line that says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Right? Talking about the Lord who is his shepherd. Leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If a, better, a more modern way to say that is he leads me on the right paths for his name's sake. okay. Then the very next line, and this is what I had missed for all the years I've been reciting Psalm 23, I've missed the connection between the very next verse. Right? He leads me on the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see what David's saying? Right? The... the, 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 that he's saying that the right path God's right path for you May very well be a path That leads through a very dark Dangerous terrible valley But you never go it alone God's way is perfect He's making your way perfect And he goes with you Jesus Christ the good shepherd Is with you He will protect you He will provide for you and therefore, you don't have to be afraid. You know, I think so much of our fear, so much of my fear and my anxiety, and I've told you guys before, that's, that is a besetting sin of mine. I, you know, as when I was a lawyer, I got used to get paid to worry. It's hard to break a, break a habit. You know, that's, that's why people pay lawyers, so they can worry. You're, you're paying for the lawyer to worry about your problem. So I, I've just, I get into that. I'm a warrior. I'm you know, a fretter. I get, a, I, I get afraid. And, but what, so much of that, and, and I suspect so much of your own fear and anxiety, is, is the fact that you know, I'm a sheep trying to be the shepherd. right? I'm a child trying to be the father. And, and I'm trying to control, therefore, what I can't control. I'm trying to understand what I can't fully comprehend. I don't have God's infinite knowledge and wisdom. What David is reminding us here of is, is that we need to do what sheep do and what children do, right? Which is implicitly trust the sheep. If you're a sheep, the shepherd. If you're a kid, your mom, your dad. Right? You people, you, you families with young people and grandparents looking at your grandchildren. I, I think One of the great things about being a grandparent is, is, is being able to watch again, maybe from a little bit more distance, you know, my grandchildren leaning into their parents, right? Just, just not worrying about life because they know mom and dad will take care of it. And that's why Jesus kept, keeps telling us, right? It, if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to become like a child. And that doesn't mean infantile. It means trusting. Just simply trust. God as your good father to know that he knows what he's doing and that he's making your way perfect alright third triumph ultimately all this leads to victory you will triumph now this is not some cheap prosperity gospel thing I'm not saying that every one of your problems is going to be turned to you know, some pot of gold this side of the grave but I am saying is that, is that God's purposes for your life will not be thwarted. His purposes for your life are good, pleasing, and perfect. That in the end, God wins. His truth wins. His justice wins. His mercy wins. And if you are connected to God by faith, then you win. So where do we see triumph here? Well, verse 27, he saves those. He saves those who've been humbled, right? It may, in your life right now, look like unbelief and evil and and injustice are winning. It certainly, you know, on the international stage, looks like injustice and evil uh, are, are winning. But listen, What does it say in verse 27? Ultimately, the Lord brings the haughty eyes down. The New Testament puts it differently, right? God gives grace to the humble, but he's opposed to the proud. If in your pride you are stiff-arming God, if you are resisting the lordship of Jesus Christ, ultimately you will be brought down if you are acknowledging the lordship of Jesus and trusting uh, in him, not your circumstances, uh, you are saved, right? Jesus was humbled to save the humble. Jesus suffered to save the suffering. Believers, remember, no matter what's going on today, you are saved. Verse twenty-eight: The Lord lightens your darkness. You know it's not going to be dark forever. In His time, in His way, God will dispel your darkness. That, that, I love that the light metaphor for God, and and because it's it's man, I, I experienced the power of light recently, and I bet you can identify with this. I was, I was. In the Ansel Adams Wilderness, up in the Eastern Sierra, alone, uh, at a remote lake, fishing. Who knew? <laughs> and like any good fisherman, I never like to stop. Right? It's always one more cast. But in the back of my mind, I I, I knew it was get, it was getting late. The weather was turning. It was beginning to get cold, and. Um, but I was kind of trying to push that out of my mind. One more cast. And, uh, and all of a sudden, just then, uh, the, the sun broke through the clouds. And the whole, just the whole landscape, everything I could see was just lit up, you know, brilliantly. And, and instantly, it almost without me thinking about it or consciously doing anything, in a way that's hard to describe, my spirits were just lifted. Do you guys have you experienced that? You know, if you're just you're taking a walk and then it's a gray day and then all of a sudden poof, the sun comes out. It's like, it's like a weight's lifted, right? It's weird, but it's it's powerful, and and so it's a great thing to sort of understand what, what you know what God is going to do with your darkness. It it, it he, he will. Ultimately, just lift that off you. Um, And just to encourage you, I I know it may seem, if you're a Christian, like the darkness is total, but a Christian never is in total darkness, right? Because as we've just said, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's with you. He's leading you. I mean, he at least has a flashlight. Right? A headlamp. Right? And ultimately... Uh, your darkness is going to be overcome by the fullness of your salvation and the glory that God has uh, in store for you. Uh, and then in verse 29, David said that uh, again, we're talking about triumph that he could, that uh, David could run against a troop that was threatening him. He could leap over uh, the wall that was blocking his way, uh, and that's related to verse 32. Where, where David says that God equips him with strength? See, part of, part of the way, one of the ways that God leads you to victory, leads you to triumph in whatever you're, you know, wherever you are now, whatever you're facing now, one of the ways you, you get from where you are to, to, to victory is that God strengthens you. He, he strengthens you to, to deal with and overcome the people that may be opposing you, the circumstances that stand against you. Right? It's, it's not like it's a, you know, it's a, that he miraculously d- delivers you in some supernatural way all the time. It's, it's that he strengthens you to get through it, to overcome it. Um, and he'll do that. It says in verse 30 that God's word proves true. I mentioned to the guys yesterday at the men's retreat that I've been a Christian for, I haven't counted specifics, but way over 50 years. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits of having a white, white hair and a white mustache is, I hope, wisdom. And, and, and part of that wisdom is knowing that God's word proves true. That over and over and over again, God has proven his word true. That's my testimony. Right. The, it says, I frequently you know, go back to 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And one of those promises that you have as a believer in Jesus is that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, right? Romans 8.28. That's talking about your perfect way. It's ultimately going to end in, in triumph and in victory. It's God is working all this together for the good. His promises are becoming yes in Jesus. And then finally, verse thirty. Another, the final element of triumph is that God's your shield. And we need a shield, right? God is the perfect iron dome defense. Right? We've been hearing a lot about the iron dome defense system, and it's a great system. It's not perfect. God's perfect, right? And we have, we, we, we fight a multi-front war, too. And we have three, three long-standing enemies. The world, the world that stands against um, Christianity, stands against the Lord and his people. Just just as an example of that, I just this morning, early this morning, ran across an article um, that was... uh, really just an attack piece on the new Speaker of the House and they and what they were attacking was his faith and 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 painting him to be you know a, because of his faith uh, a real danger uh, to, um, to 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 others now you know I, it, it's just it, it just shows that the, the world has a very different view of of um, of our faith and 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 uh, opposes it, um, so uh, that's one enemy, uh, one front. Uh, the the other one, other enemy is our flesh, right? The world, the flesh, and by the flesh that means uh, us, right? Our own our own inclination to sin, the, our own the inclination of our flesh to war against the spirit, right? To want to do what we know is not right, that battle, that's the battle against our own flesh. And then there's uh, there's Satan, right? All those created beings uh, under the rule of Satan who have been created by God to serve God and in their pride rebelled against God and now work against God and against God's people. Um The world, the flesh, and the devil, that's our multi-front war. They're shooting missiles at us all the time. God's your shield. God's your iron dome. And if any get through, we know because God's a perfect iron dome, if any of those missiles get through, God meant them to get through. Sometimes God lets those missiles get through so that we, you know, that's why we are dealing with trouble and trials and tribulations. Um, God brings those things into our life for his purposes, to grow us, to strengthen us, to prepare us for the glory that he has for it. All right, finally, testimony. All of this, right, is should lead us to to testimony. We should be, as believers, people who bear witness, you know, testify about the goodness and the greatness of God and his love and his mercy toward us. And I want to just focus on one aspect of David's testimony, and it's in verse 31. He, he, he testifies by asking a rhetorical question, and the question is, and who is a rock Except our God. It's a weird question. Who is a rock except our God? Now, what's he saying? Right. Well, the rock imagery in 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 Scripture is rich. It it really is rich. Now, you might think it, and and it's true at 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 the simplest level. A rock is a symbol of strength and. Stability and solidity, right? It's like the Rock of Gibraltar. Right? It's why one of the insurance companies use, uses the Rock of Gibraltar as its logo. Right? It's it's, it's a symbol of stability and and strength. Um, but it's uh, and and all of that's true and true of God. But but the image is much. Richer than that and deeper than that. Uh, it goes way back in Jewish history, at least to Moses. Think about Exodus 33. Uh, Moses uh, is, um, conf- you know, Moses and God are in conversation. It's after the golden calf. Uh, god Moses is interceding for the people don't destroy the people and God fight, agrees and then and then he says Moses says God show me your glory and God says I can't I can't I can't you can't see my glory otherwise you die right uh, I'm a holy god you you are you're, you're a creature a sinful creature to see my glory would be your death sentence um, uh, a sinner can't get that close to a holy God without disintegrating. So what does God do? He says, I'll let you see the trailing edges of my glory as I pass by. But, what, but, I, but what you're, you're gonna need to be protected. You need to be shielded. And I'm gonna put you in this cleft, this crack in this rock so that my glory, my holiness, my justice, right, doesn't destroy you. And so God does. He places Moses in this cleft in the rock. And, of course, we sing about that, don't we? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. The cleft rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who was cleft for us on the cross and when we hide in him we don't crawl inside his rib cage we we, uh, we we believe we trust in his life death and resurrection for us then we can safely live hidden in Jesus we can safely live in the presence of a holy God. then there, there are other instances of it yeah all through right there's the cave Elijah's cave that that protects Elijah from, from the glory of God. There are the caves that David hid in uh, that, that protected him from his enemies. All of these are anticipations of, of Jesus the rock, Jesus the Messiah that we hide ourselves in. Uh, but the by far the best picture comes from earl, earlier on, much earlier on in Moses' life in Exodus, in Exodus, Exodus 17. Right and Exodus seventeen is early on in the exodus they've they've really just left Egypt, they're out in the desert, and the people revolt, they revolt against uh, Moses, and they are threatening to bring charges against him they want to charge him with treason for taking the nation out to be to die in the desert, traitor to Israel, and so they're they're screaming for, you know, that charges be brought against Moses. They want him executed. And and Moses goes to prayer. And he's praying to God, well, you know, what, what do I do? And God intervenes. And he intervenes in a way that is absolutely amazing and unexpected, right? Because um, he... He doesn't do what you expect. He, God does not come down and put the people on trial. If anybody should be on trial it's the people, right? They're revolting against Moses which is to revolt against God. And and God should come down and 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 charge them with that sin and execute them. I mean, but God doesn't do that. And God doesn't even charge Moses. He God God tells Moses, uh, I'm going to come down and I'm going to stand on this rock and I'm going to stand before you, Moses. I, the Lord, will stand before you on this rock. Now, that's, you gotta, you, that's, that's legal language. When God says, I will stand before you, he's basically saying, I'll, I'll appear before the bench of your justice. I, I am putting myself in the defendant's box, says God, and I will be judged by you. I mean, it's, you just your, your head just can't get around it. And so there the pillar of cloud moves to, to this rock, and it's right on this rock, and standing before Moses, and God had told Moses, take your staff, With you, when I stand before you, I want you to have your staff in your hand. That's the staff that he brought, that Moses brought down in divine judgment on Egypt. Remember when, when he, uh, in the plagues, he hit the river with the staff that turned to blood. So there's God, this pillar of cloud on this rock, and God says, "I want you to strike that rock," which effectively means, "I want you to strike me." And Moses brings down this symbol of judgment, this staff of judgment, onto the Lord himself. And the moment that that staff hits the rock, what happens? Water gushes out. Right, Water just starts gushing out. Living water, right? The people are saved. It's life. I mean, it's... It's just an unbelievable scene. There's God being taking the judgment that the people deserved and the people get what? They get saved. They get life. They get water from from God taking the judgment that was due them. You don't have to be the apostle Paul to understand this, but the apostle Paul did get it. 1 Corinthians 10. Paul's reflecting on that event and you know what he says? He says, and that rock was Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, isn't it? I don't know how much David understood of the of rock sign when he wrote Psalm 18. He understood enough. But we, we have the benefit of hindsight. We understand it, must understand it better than David did because we see how that sign was fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, God in the flesh, took the stroke of judgment, wasn't being hit by you know the, Moses' staff, it was being hung on a cross, taking the judgment that you and I deserve, and he died so that you could live. His blood paid for your sin, and when you believe in him, his righteousness covers you, right? Protects you, hides you so that you can live with and enjoy God now and forever. And it's all because we deserved it. No. It's all because we didn't deserve it. Right? It's all God's grace. It's all wonderful mercy. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's the message of this table. And it's your testimony. My testimony. To our friends, to our neighbors, to our loved ones who are living in a darkness, friends, that only Jesus can dispel. What a great and gracious God we have. And who is a rock except our God? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let let me hide myself in thee. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to come to this table now, which is really... It's bread and wine, but it's all about the rock, Jesus, and hiding in that cleft in the rock. Help us, Lord, as we eat by your spirit and drink to to believe in you, to trust in you, not to trust in our circumstances. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.